Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone and greetings to you in the name of Jesus the Christ, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we are going to continue these podcasts by moving to the third book that ended in the New Covenant canon. This is the letter that Paul wrote to the believers at Thessalonica that we describe as 1 Thessalonians. And it's going to be a great letter that we're looking at, and I encourage you to go back and listen to all the different podcasts. Look at the hermeneutics. Remember, it's all about original intent. Look back why we're using the New American Standard Version or the English Standard Version, because I think that's very important that you have a good translation of the Bible into the English language. And I'm presenting to you that these are the best translations using formal equivalents. And you can go back to those podcasts to see what I'm talking about. And also about original intent. We had three podcasts about hermeneutics, simple hermeneutics. What are we trying to do? We're trying to see what God said to Paul to the believers at Thessalonica, to understand what it meant, to understand what it means to us today, not to get bogged into word theologies or sentence theologies, Mm -hmm. but understand the flow of the context. Today, I know many individuals that quote scriptures all over the place, And they really many times do not even have a close understanding to what God is saying because every sentence that they quote, they don't even understand the context in which they're quoting these scriptures from. So we're not people that are trying to promote scripture quoting. We're trying to get individuals to understand in totality what God is saying through Paul to the Thessalonians to understand what God was saying to Paul to the believers at Galatia and to understand what Jacob was saying to the scattered tribes abroad. Not isolating scriptures, not isolating words, but understanding the whole message and going from letter to letter, book to book, and understanding the whole counsel of God. This is something that is very weak in many societies today. It's very weak in America, in the Western church, that people are quoting scriptures, but they do not understand the word of God. So go through those hermeneutics. Go through the introduction of every book, because when we talk about the background, we're moving from the historical context. Who wrote it? Who is he writing to? What is the occasion? What is the date? what is happening throughout the book of Acts as it relates to this book. And then we're flowing to the immediate context and the flow of thought, starting with the first chapter to the end and allowing God's word to define itself. Now let's look at the historical background. This is definitely Paul, his Hebrew name is Shaul, writing to the believers at Thessalonica, And we're going to read about that encounter. How did this community of faith get started in Thessalonica? You have to turn with us, and Yoni again is with me today. And he's going to read from Acts chapter 17. So if you will go to Acts chapter 17, 
we're going to see how the church, the community of faith, got started in Thessalonica. Can you read this? Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And let's read a couple of verses because you're going to go from Thessalonica to Berea. And there's an interesting statement that he makes about the Bereans versus those at Thessalonica that I think has a bearing of how we look at the believers in Thessalonica. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So look at the background here. And that last statement is very important because when we look at these two letters that Paul's going to write to those at Thessalonica, they had received words but had not checked them by the word of God, either through a prophecy or a message or someone had brought a message to them as if Jesus had come again, had already come back. These kinds of issues are going to develop within Thessalonica. But the believers at Berea, they heard the word, they believe, but they checked what Paul and Silas was saying daily by the word of God. It's important for the listeners to understand what scriptures are they checking. They're not checking the Gospel of Matthew. They're not going to Peter's writings. They're not going to the Gospel of John because the New Covenant canon has not been developed yet. When this is taking place, really we only see Jacob and Galatians as two letters that have been written that later on will be accepted in the New Covenant canon. Hmm. But I guess most of what we'd consider the New Testament wasn't even written at this point. That's correct. And when they're rolling out the scroll, they're rolling out the scroll of Isaiah. They're looking at the law. They're looking at Deuteronomy as what we understand as Deuteronomy today. They are rolling out the scroll of Daniel. They're going to Jeremiah. They're going to the Psalms. Wherever Paul and Silas are preaching from, they are looking at it intently, and they are saying, yes, this is true. 
If Paul is preaching from the four Hebrew songs of Isaiah, if you go through those psalms, if they're looking through that scroll of chapter 42, 49, 50, 52, 53, as they're reading this, even without the chapters, but if they're going through Isaiah, they're seeing that what Paul is preaching and what Silas is preaching is true. They're checking the scriptures daily, and they're more noble than those at Thessalonica. So it's important for all of us, whatever we're speaking, and we're going through the New Covenant Scriptures now, that is complete, that has been canonized, but the New Covenant is coming out of the Old. And something that is arising within American society today, that the Old doesn't have relevance for us today. Mm. And the Old, all that we can receive are inspirational stories Instead, we need to understand that everything in the old, every principle that comes out in the new is coming out and being revealed through the Messiah. And so the new covenant apostles are preaching from the old, showing that the Messiah is the one that fulfills everything that was preached and taught in the old from the inside out. That's one thing historically that's very important. Also, he goes to Thessalonica after Acts chapter 15. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 15 is finishing what Paul is dealing with in Galatians. Remember, we have studied Jacob, then Galatians. Now we're coming to the first Thessalonians. So it is in Acts 17 that Paul goes to Thessalonica. And also in this second missionary journey, Paul is not with Barnabas. Remember, in the first missionary journey, it was Barnabas and Shaul. As he's going into the Greek-speaking world, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas have a split, and Barnabas takes John Mark and goes to Cyprus. And Paul, who becomes the leader from the forefront, is taking Silas, and he's going. And the first place he goes is to Philippi. And in Philippi, the first European comes to faith. He goes to Macedonia. God leads him to Macedonia, and Lydia becomes a believer, and that house becomes a preaching point of ministry to Philippi. From Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica. So this church is developing around 50 AD. The council in Jerusalem was around 49, 50 A.D. This is happening around 50 to 51 A.D. And after that, he's only in Thessalonica for three weeks, around three weeks, three Mm -hmm. Sabbaths. Then he goes to Berea. And after Berea, he's going to have a short time in Berea. He goes to Corinth. And Corinth, he's going to be there for a year and a half. During that year and a half, he's going to write back to the believers at Thessalonica because he receives a report about them. And so this is around 51-52 A.D. These reports that Paul is going to receive are not good reports. There has been some deception and some bad teaching that has come to Thessalonica. And this is something that you're going to see all the way through the New Covenant Scriptures. When someone comes to you and say, I'm not interested in doctrine, I'm not concerned about doctrine, what they are actually teaching is that teaching is not important. And I've said that over and over again. That's, that's a statement that is contradicting itself because doctrine means teaching. Anytime that teaching is used in a negative context within the scriptures, it's when bad teaching is coming or bad doctrine. 
And the Word of God instructs us to have sound doctrine. In Thessalonica, if you go back to their conversion, they received the Word of God, they believed, and it was something that was based upon truth. But later on, individuals are going to come and bring a message that's not from Paul, but maybe they're saying it's from Paul. Or they received a special message or a prophecy, and they're going to believe it. And this is going to bring confusion within the body of the Messiah. So the believers at Berea received the word of God. They believed that it was true, but daily they checked the scriptures. And something that we want to say over and over again, continue as we go through the word of God, we go from beginning to the end and check everything that we are saying by God's word. Scripture interprets scripture. As we go through, make sure everything that we're saying is contextual. Make sure that it's going with the flow of thought. Make sure that we're not basing our teaching on assumptions, but we're really seeing what is clear within God's Word. And this is what is important. Be like the Bereans. Don't be like those in Thessalonica. Now, we're going to start reading in 1 Thessalonians. But again, remember, Paul's writing this to the believers at Thessalonica that are Jews and then God-fearing Greeks and prominent women as well. As you remember, as Yoni was reading from Acts chapter 17, there were Jews that believed and there were Jews that were in opposition. There were God-fearing Greeks. I believe this was God-fearing Gentiles in this context because in every city, you had God-fearing Gentiles that were not idol worshipers, that respected the Jews, and many times they came to the synagogues and they would listen to the law of Moses. The first Gentile that came to faith was Cornelius. He was a God-fearing Gentile. He probably would have been in that category as well. Then there was prominent women. And in all of these Hellenistic societies, there would have been influential women within society, prominent women. Historically, in these societies, there is a role reversal. The more pagan a society becomes, the more that you see a role reversal that takes place. And in Thessalonica, there was a lot of prominent women. If you go back into the scriptures and you look at the Hebraic worldview, you go through the Bible, there are influential women, but there's not women that are really in authority over men. The only place that you see that is Deborah, Devorah, that the men had become so weak that they would not even be willing to go into battle unless Deborah went with them. The glory should have come to a man, but God made sure that the glory came to a woman that was willing to fight, willing to lead, and willing to lead the men into battle. So that was something that you do see during the time of the judges that you don't see anywhere else during their history. But in Hellenistic societies, which were pagan societies, women were at the forefront many times. Think about the temples. Sometimes the temples were dedicated to goddesses. We're going to see that when we get to Corinth. That promotes the idea of a woman being the head. I'm not trying to make assumptions here, but we look at this and all that we know that in this society there were prominent women that were coming to faith. Praise God for that. Women of a lot of influence within society 
possibly even being heads over society that mm. were coming to faith there in Thessalonica. It's a very interesting situation if you think about it, because the scriptures and the revelation of Jesus makes no distinction between people of prominence and not, makes no distinction between male or female. We are all in the body of Christ. We are all saved and are now a new creation, like we read in uh, Galatians. So it's just interesting to think that in these societies, in this, this city, for example, that held women as as the leadership role, that those women would now come into a relationship with Christ. They're not necessarily special because they're women. They're not special because they're of influence. Uh, it's all under Christ. So I think there's interesting kind of, when you picture it, kind of interesting culture dynamic in this church. Well, we'll look at it. Uh, let's go back to Galatians. When we come into the body, we're all one. But if you go back into the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Covenant, yes, it describes men of influence, men that were not influential, men of high esteem, men of low esteem. Even in one case, like Devorah, who was a judge, a leader over the nation, over the people. So you have those distinctions there. But in a pagan society, as we study history, many times the women come to prominence and the men are put down. This has a way of what we're seeing today in our society. Now, I don't want to go off into this, Mm -hmm. but the more we walk away from God, the more that we're going to see women promoted and men put down. Mm -hmm. That's just a natural thing that takes place. Now, when you're quoting from Galatians, we're talking about the body of Christ, the body of the Messiah. But people are coming from all different types of background into one body, one faith. Mm -hmm. And what Luke here, who is the author of Acts that you read from Acts 17, he's just telling the background in which they're coming from. Mm -hmm. There were Jews that believed, Jews that opposed. There were God-fearing Greeks, which is probably talking about the God-fearing Gentiles there, who respected the law of Moses that were coming to faith. And there were also prominent women And what I'm saying, in that society, that would have probably been normal, that if you go back into the Hebrew Scriptures, that's not a normal type of situation. Mm -hmm. But now they're going into the Gentile world. They're actually in Europe. They went to Philippi. They've gone to Thessalonica. Then they're to go to Berea, and then they're going to go to Corinth. When we get to Corinth, wow, you're looking at the pagan of the pagan societies, Mm -hmm. And one temple, there was a thousand temple prostitutes Mm -hmm. in that city to Aphrodite, the goddess. So you get a picture of the Hellenistic world. And in those societies, women become very influential because they worship goddesses. And there's a role reversal that has a tendency to take place. And in Thessalonica, some of them have come to faith. Mm. That's the conviction of God's Spirit going into that community and breaking that down. Now they come into the body, not as prominent women, as they were described before, but as one body through the Messiah. And this is uh, what is taking place. Would it be safe to say that the church at Thessalonica is the first diverse church? How are you describing diversity? The idea that maybe previously we had... The church was composed of, of Jewish individuals. And then in Galatia, we have a church that's 
primarily Gentile, and now this is kind of the first church where all of those different people groups are being kind of melded together. I think you would have to go back to Acts 13 and 14. When Barnabas and Shaul went up to the region of Galatia, again, the first place they go is to the synagogue. Mm-hmm. Jews are coming to faith. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's a total rejection. And the Jewish people are going to be probably the spiritual leaders because they have a background in the Word of God. And they're preaching, but then when they're kicked out of the synagogue and the opposition that comes from the Jewish society or the Jews that reject Jesus as the Messiah, they turn to the Gentiles and more Gentiles are coming to faith than Jews. I think you're going to see that same pattern on the second missionary journey. So I think in both Galatia and in now as we're coming into Europe, you're seeing diversity. Mm-hmm. You're seeing from the Gentile background coming from all different walks of life, people that have worshipped different gods and goddesses coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah and the new covenant coming into their lives. So I would say it's both. Okay. So I believe it was in Galatia. I believe it was in Philippi. And now you're seeing it in Thessalonica. You're going to see it in Berea. You're seeing a really diverse community coming together under the authority of the Messiah. The problem in Thessalonica is when we look at it, they didn't check the scriptures. And that is pointed out to us in the book of Acts by Luke, who traveled with Paul. Now, Paul is writing this letter. And Paul is probably the main influence over Luke as he's developing the gospel and the book of Acts. So think about all of this background. Look at the historical background as in the next podcast as we move to the first chapter. And we're going to go all the way through 1 Thessalonians. And then after that, we're going to go through 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to see what God has said through Paul who planted this church with Silas to the believers at Thessalonica who are Jews, who are God-fearing Greeks, who are prominent women that have come to the faith and see the problem that arose within Thessalonica. We want to avoid these problems and we want to be like the Bereans in everything that we do, that we go back to the Word of God and to make sure what we believe, what we teach, what we allow within our lives comes from God's Word. God bless you today. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.